Tonight, God's word comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 12 and then read through the end of this chapter. First Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 12. What we hear now is God's word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we come to the end of the second main section in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, that second section when he's addressing matters he has heard about, chapters 5 and 6. He began this second, second section talking about tolerance in the church. An ungodly tolerance for sin and boasting about their ungodly tolerance. Last time we saw he dealt with the problem of lawsuits and disputes in the church. Rather, he says, they should love each other. And now tonight, he comes specifically to deal with immorality in the church. And as I was considering this text, I thought to myself, does our church really need to hear this? Is this a sin that, that we could fall into? Haven't, haven't we progressed far enough in our sanctification that perhaps we could skip a text like this dealing with blatant immorality in the church? But to think that way is to be naive. Naive with regard to the depths of our sin, 
naive with regard to the strength of our sinful desires. Remember, Paul here is not addressing the world. He is addressing the church and what was going on there and the sin they had fallen into. And, and, and if Paul saw fit to address that church in that Corinthian culture, that culture where anything goes, and if the Holy Spirit saw fit to preserve this instruction, then certainly it is for us today. It is for our church. The warnings about immorality and the call to a life of holiness. Tonight we look at immorality in the church. Paul begins this section with a quotation. All things are lawful for me. In fact, it says it twice. All things are lawful for me. Uh, very likely, uh, these were Paul's own words to them. Paul saying, all things are lawful. Of course, Paul meaning by that, that we are no longer subject to a legalism. Out of a Jewish background of legalism, there were certain things that were clean, certain things that were unclean. The ceremonial law was, was very, very important to them. And Paul says, we're freed from that. All things are lawful now. But they had taken that phrase, that instruction, and turned their freedom into a license to sin. If we might paraphrase with a more common phrase today, free from the law. We are free from the law. You'll, you'll hear that even in evangelical churches. We are free from the law. As if we can live however we want. Now it's true, we are free from the curse of the law. We are free from the guilt of the law. We are free from the penalty of the law. But we are not free from the law itself. The law is still the path of holiness, which we have been called to walk on. They were saying all things are helpful. How does Paul respond? All things are lawful, he says. But not all things are helpful. Yes, we are free from the law, but we must only do those things which will be helpful to us, which will build us up in our walk with the Lord, build us up in our relationships with each other. All things are lawful, but not everything's helpful. He says, all things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. We've talked just recently about how sin is slavery. Sin which looks like that path to freedom, that path to joy, that path to the good life is actually that which turns around and enslaves us. Paul says, I will not be dominated by anything. I will not have sin become my master. Another quotation they give him, verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Uh, what are they saying? We might paraphrase that today by saying what we're doing it's just natural. Just like eating, just like drinking, it's natural. Food for the stomach, stomach for food, it's natural. And they were using this as an excuse for their immorality. 
Physical relationships, they're just natural. Why should we limit ourselves? It's just like eating and drinking. Again, if I can maybe be a little bit more culturally uh, conditioned today, I was born this way. Just the way I am. Or this is the way God made me. As an excuse for our immorality. As an excuse for a lifestyle which is offensive to Him. It's just the way I am. It's the way I was born. Paul says no. No. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. We were not meant to simply do what's natural, follow our most base instincts. But the body is meant for the Lord meant to serve Him, meant to serve Him with purity, meant to serve Him with holiness, meant to walk in a way which brings glory to God. The body is meant for the Lord. And that is a commitment, that is a conviction, that's a decision, that we need to make now. That our bodies are not meant for immorality. Our bodies are meant for the Lord. And I think particularly of of our high school students, your bodies are meant for the Lord. Make that commitment, make that decision now in the light of day. That is not a decision you try to make in the heat of passion. But your body was meant for the Lord. Paul Paul deals with their excuses for immorality. He goes on to talk about the true nature of their relationship to God. Verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. You are a member of Christ. You belong to His body. And Paul says this this union with Christ should be a wonderful motivation for us unto holiness. We belong to God. He is our God, He is our Lord, and we are to live for Him. That must motivate us to to say no to the ways of ungodliness, say no to immorality, and, and follow after God's ways. For there is the path of blessing. We are members of Christ, and we are to be exclusively members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Our devotion to our God, our devotion to Christ is to be complete. He has exclusive reign over our lives. He is the one who who is worthy of all of our devotion. He is the one to whom we give all of our self, all of our life, all of our strength to follow Him. 
and exclusive devotion to go in his ways and say no to the ways of immorality. And again, while this text certainly applies to all of us in every area of our lives, I can't help but think it, it applies specifically to those who may be in dating relationships right now. What standards do we set with regard to whom we will date? There are many standards we could set, but there's a fundamental standard which God has set. And that is a member of Christ may never be joined with a member of the world. God has set standards and a believer and an unbeliever may not be joined together. When I do premarital counseling, something that I love to do, uh, one question that kind of, I think, maybe shocks the counselees a bit is I ask them point blank. I'll turn to the gentleman and say, are you a believer? And how do you know? And I'll turn to the woman and say, are you a believer? How do you know? And I explain to them that unless they both give the same affirmative answer, that I will not marry them. I am not allowed to join a believer and a non-believer. God has set standards. We are called to follow them. And, and I've heard before, I've heard others say, but, but, but he's such a great guy, she's such a great gal. Yes, they're not a believer, but, but what about evangelism? Maybe, maybe in our dating relationship, I'll be able to evangelize them and bring them to the Lord. Now make no mistake, evangelism is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. We should be sharing the truth of the gospel with those in our circle of influence, with those whom God puts in our, our path. We must evangelize. But make no mistake, dating is not an evangelistic field. Dating is not the place that we do our evangelism. Evangelism is one thing, dating is something else, and they should not be mixed. Because it may be the case that you, with the best of intentions, enter this relationship with an unbeliever, and you share the gospel with them, and you become so familiar with them, and you end up marrying them, and they never turn to the Lord. And now we're in a marriage, a marriage that is dishonoring to God. Christ demands exclusive devotion. We are in every part of our life to honor him above all. Paul says, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two become one flesh. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We are united to Christ, a deep and abiding union. That which must be the most important relationship over any other in our life 
We are united to Christ. And our devotion is first of all to Him. First of all to following in His ways. First of all to pursuing what He would call us to. And again, that, that knowledge that we belong to Christ moves us to a desire for holiness, moves us to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. The two become one flesh. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one with Him in spirit. God's blessing to those who belong to Him. Paul has warned them. Paul has warned them, don't be joined to a prostitute, don't pursue immorality, and now he gives his clear, unequivocal instruction, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Don't be in the place where you will be tempted to sin. I think the, 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 the most classic example of this, and perhaps I've said this before, the most classic example of fleeing from immorality is the story in the Old Testament of Joseph. Remember Joseph, children? Joseph, who was sold into slavery a couple different times, and Joseph ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife tries to, commit, to get Joseph to commit sin with her, sin that Joseph knows will be an offense against God. And finally, one day, she orchestrates the circumstance in just a certain way that he will be incredibly tempted to sin. And what does Joseph do? He does not say, you know, this is a good time to evangelize Potiphar's wife. I think this is a good time to share the gospel. He doesn't say that. He does not say, God is a God of providence, and He put me in this place at this time. Maybe it's okay just this once. What does Joseph do? Joseph gets up and runs away, even leaving his coat behind. That is fleeing immorality. If you are in a dating relationship, don't put yourself in a position where you will be tempted to sin. Flee immorality. Don't go near that. For those of you who are married, don't go beyond the marital bonds. Flee that. Flee all immorality that would impact our lives. Again, it's all around us in the world. If, if watching certain movies or certain te television shows would, would cause you to sin, then just turn off the TV. If visiting certain websites or maybe just being on the internet itself is going to tempt you to sin, flee immorality and turn off the computer. That's God's call to us. You have been united with Christ. 
Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul, what a, what, a, what a masterful teacher, what a wonderful instructor. He not only tells them what to avoid, flee sexual immorality, but he tells them what to pursue. Glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your actions. Glorify God in your decisions. Because he reminds them, Ultimately, you are not your own. You belong to someone else. And he says, you were bought. You were bought with a price. What was the price tag, children? What was the price tag for us to be bought that we could belong to God? It was nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ. It was nothing less than God sending his beloved son to earth that he might die to purchase us to God. The price has been paid. We belong to God. The complete forgiveness of all of our sins accomplished but there was a price. The price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Tonight, if, if this topic of fleeing immorality uh, makes you uncomfortable, if the Word of God is perhaps poking at your conscience, I want to remind you, I want to assure you in Jesus Christ, every sin can be forgiven. The willful decisions that we make which violate God's law, when confessed to Him, can be washed. The scars from those decisions may remain, but the sin is gone and the guilt is gone. And if you find yourself in a place tonight where the Holy Spirit is calling to you, then I call to you as well. Turn from your sin. Confess to God the immorality. And know the freedom. Know the freedom of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. No longer be enslaved. No longer be enslaved to sin and weighed down by that burden too heavy to bear. But confess to God. Trust in Jesus Christ. And know that in Him, all of our sins, even the sexual sins, the immorality is washed and cleansed and removed. And we are set free 
That's the glorious truth of the gospel. Embrace Jesus Christ. Know that freedom. And then, and then Paul concludes, glorify God in your body. Live in a way that is pleasing to him. Say no to the ungodliness and pursue after righteousness. Listen to the word of God. The path of peace, the path of joy, the path of assurance is the path walking with God walking in his ways, saying no to ungodliness and wickedness and walking in the path of righteousness. God, by his spirit, then dwells within us that we can live in a way that is pleasing to God and a blessing to us. Paul's instruction for the church. Don't say all things are lawful, free from the law. Don't say, it's just natural. But remember, remember, you have been united to Christ. And he himself calls you to flee from all immorality. Don't put yourself in a place where you will be overwhelmingly tempted. And he calls you to glorify God with your body. May God, by his spirit, help us to heed that call and to walk in the ways of obedience. Let's join together for prayer. Lord our God, your word is so beautiful and it is so rich. And there are times, O oh God, where your word calls us up short. It reminds us of our sin and our failures. Lord God, may we not continue to walk in those immoral ways but tonight, may we confess our sin to you and know the joy and know the freedom of forgiveness. And Lord God, may you, by the power of your Spirit, then dwell within us that we can pursue the ways of righteousness, the ways of holiness, for this will bring glory to you and this will be a blessing to us. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to number 188 in the Trinity Psalter. <clears throat> number 188. O oh Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. I shall not fear the battle if thou art by my side, nor wander from the pathway if thou wilt be my guide. Verse 3. O oh